recording. While college sports kind of burned down as we speak, um, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Twitter has been a very strange place. I don't know when you're listening. We are recording this on Monday night, so no Power 5 conference has officially canceled college football. Um, Twitter has just been an absolute cesspool, as Brad can attest. I've been enjoying it, if nothing else, because there's been like a lot of nice dialogue. Uh, but pretty much, you know, I went to the beach on Sunday. I was, I was actually have a great story, Brad. Before we, uh, before we, before we really get into it, I was, on, I was on the beach, and I looked to my left, and I see none other than Bulls rookie Kobe White hanging out at the Northwestern Beach. Very college basketball. Wow. Live in the flesh. I know um, this was probably maybe a year or two ago, but one of my friends, actually my friend uh, Patrick Wong, who was on our podcast maybe a year and a half ago, he saw uh, Terrence Mann at uh, Chipotle. Wow. Huge. Yeah, yeah. I saw, I'm, ni- I'm 99% sure I saw Kobe White hanging out at the Northwestern Student Beach with like half our volleyball team. And so I, I was at the beach for like an hour, hang, hung, out, hung out, you know, just, Enjoying the weather. I get back to my phone. I check my phone. Everything's about to erupt. And since then, I don't think I've left Twitter. It's been, uh, been quite the time. But uh, Brad, a lot can, lot can change in, in the college sports world with this. Maybe we get a union. Maybe we get, you know, crippled budgets. Maybe we get delayed college basketball. Who the hell knows? But um, one thing I am pretty sure of is that the college basketball world really hasn't stopped through all. Nope, the uh, recruits are still coming. Um, you know, guys, guys who are going to be in, in that 21-22 season, and one team who has an absolutely loaded, loaded 21-22 roster is the UConn Huskies. And so this is this is a big sticking point for me, right? Because the the easy, easy talking point that I see almost everyone parroting, right? They like, go, oh, look at what the Big East is doing for UConn. And now, please, you know, anyone who's a UConn fan or follows recruit or has a better memory of recruiting dates can can please correct me, right? But UConn joined the Big East last summer, right? That's 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 when it was announced. Yes. Right. So. Book Knight, A. Cook, A. Cook, Richard Springs, and Jalen Gaffney. That class, now I think Springs maybe because he reclassified and, and committed late. But those guys committed to the AAC UConn. And that class could easily be better than this, this class that they're bringing in now. And this class that they're bringing in now is, is you know, ridiculous. But, you know, it's it's so easy just to say, oh look, UConn is now in the Big East and now they're recruiting so well and the roster's loaded. But Hurley on that last AAC class struck gold. It doesn't look like he struck gold because A Cook enrolled for the second semester of 2019, which took him out of some of the rankings, which dropped his composite. Uh, but I mean, he's like a borderline five-star talent. And then Book Knight is a guy. People have already penciled in to be a lottery pick, and and you know not not without reason. I mean, he's got good size; he can shoot it. He's a super athlete. He had a great freshman year, um, but I think un- under scrutiny, 
You see, the, the, the real reason why UConn's recruiting so well is because of their brand, where they've won all the national championships, and the program is no longer in the gutter. Whether that you know whether they were in the AAC, the A10, the Big East, the NEC, whatever they were in, because they're not in the gutter anymore, that's that's why their uh, recruiting is picked up. Yeah, so their recruiting definitely has picked up, right? Like they just grabbed Samson Johnson, which was the last, the latest recruit um, from the Patrick School. Um, Jordan Hawkins from Dematha, top fifty-ish wing. Joins Razul Diggins, who is already committed. I think we talked about him last podcast, maybe two podcasts ago, because uh, last week was mostly draft decisions. But Razul Diggins, who's the point guard, top 60 kid. Like, this class is awesome. And give a lot of credit to Danny Hurley. Like, this, this team is going to be really, really good if they can keep all these guys together. And, like, we can even add in, like, Adama Sanogo to this class, essentially, because he's, like, a late, late, uh, like late signee class. But... I do agree with you. Like, this isn't about, oh, my God, the Big East has this recruiting magic. It's just, I, I was at UConn's campus last summer. Like, they have a great, they have a great, great, uh, great facility. You know, the fan base is still, you know, strong. They have tradition. You know, Hurley has recruited well his entire career. Like, I don't think people should be surprised that this is happening. And I know you've mentioned it before on, on Twitter, Brad, but, like, People kind of forget that they recruited Juwan Durham, Vance Jackson, Altari Gilbert, you know, all those dudes while they were in the AAC. And it wasn't a problem, right? Like, the reason why they stopped getting recruits for like a year was because everyone was saying Kevin Ollie should get fired. It wasn't because the American Conference and having to play Tulsa was tough. Right, because they, they, they win the 2014 National Championship, right? And then, so Daniel Hamilton was a five-star in the class of 2014. So he committed prior to the national championship, right? But then in the following class, that class of 2015, they, they, they signed Jalen Adams, who was a five-star recruit, okay? The next class, they get Altari Gilbert, five-star recruit. The next class, they... Sign ultimately lose Makayasha Lankford, who was a top 50 recruit. You mentioned Vance Jackson, Juwan Durham, guy, guys who were top 50. Um, it, it really came down to Hurley lost Makayasha Lankford in that 2017 class. I don't have up exactly who else was in that class. Um, but then 2018, it was a bunch of kind of three-star Types Polly and, and and Carlton who who turned out as as upperclassmen to, to be solid players. I know UConn fans are very down on, on Carlton. I guess he kind of slumped to the finish last year, uh, but but Polly was playing well before he got hurt, and that's kind of what what you expect of a three star uh, type of prospect where they're kind of exposed early in their career when they get minutes, but by the time they're juniors and seniors, they're actually pretty good on a good team. Um, and then the class that disappeared for Ollie, right, where he gets fired, where they got, like, Lucas Kasunas, a few other three stars, uh, um, uh, James Akinjo as well, who who end up bailing. And then Hurley comes in and brings in Brendan Adams, who he takes from URI, who's a solid player, another three-star guy. So you had that, those 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 two classes, the Polly Carlton and the Adams, where that was, that was not a typical UConn 
recruiting class. But then Hurley's first true class with his feet under him, when they're still in the AAC, they bring in A. Cook, Booknight, Gaffney, and Springs, right? So this this idea that, it, like you mentioned, this Big East magic is just it's just completely absurd. Devoid well, it's, it's, of all fact. It's the same recruiting logic that says, like, Adama Sanogo chose UConn because they put bigs in the league over Maryland, who's put a big in the league the last two years, right? It's the same exact thing where it's like, that is not the reason the kids are actively choosing UConn, but, like, it's what Dan Hurley is telling them, like, exactly. oh, my God, we're playing in the Big East. This is so exciting. And so then they're like, oh, it's the Big East. It's big. We're going back. You know, it's a, it's a great thing. So it doesn't act it, again. It, it's just it's just, it's a matter of of reality not being locked in to um to how recruiting works and how the things get get discussed in the general landscape. But again, regardless of why they're getting the recruits, UConn has a chance to be very very good in the very near future, assuming. Even if they lose book night, right? Like, even if they lose book night, this team is going to be very solid for a long time as long as Dan Hurley proves he can, like, coach. I feel like it's weird to say Dan Hurley can't coach, but I know when we've discussed this a lot, like, URI was ready to be like, all right, you, 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 you couldn't do it for us. And then he made the A-10 tournament run and changed the whole perception. And I don't think he's done anything at UConn that's been so revelatory in the on-court sense, that should change our view of him. So, like, can they be really good? Yes. Do I expect that they'll be really good in a, a factor in the Big East? Probably not, definitely not like a Villanova-level program, but very good. Yes, I do expect that. But, like, I don't think it's just some given that UConn's going to be a perennial top 25 program, like, year in, year out now, just because, like, now they're getting top 75 recruits. Right, and I've seen people really push UConn to be a top 25 team this year, which I, I just can't get behind. I don't have them in my current tournament field just because, like, you, you can't tell me that A-Cook, A-Cook's going to be 100%. Right. Right. Less less than a year off an, off an uh, Achilles tear. I, I, that's I, a guy whose who's game is built off his athleticism, right? He can shoot threes and he blocks shots and he's, you know, very athletic. I I just can't believe that he's going to be 100%. Even, I mean, Tyler Pauly tore his ACL early season last year, I think, maybe midseason. Um, and they're saying he's ready to go. Like, like, I'm sure he's healthy enough to play. But to truly be 100% coming off injury like that, I think that's something that gets kind of underrated. Um, well, that, so, you know, it takes guys longer than, than uh, people expect. So I guess here's my thing, right? Like, let's assume that Tyrese Martin doesn't get a waiver even though it's possible he does. You have Booknight as the centerpiece. And Booknight, in his final 13 games this season, averaged 17 points, five rebounds, and two assists, shooting 36% from three. Like, I don't think it's out of the question that James Booknight is, like, a top three player in the Big East and an All-American. Right? Like, that's not, that's not crazy. You have Josh Carlton, and Josh Carlton is is very solid, right? Like he kind of is what he is at this point, but you know he's in he's a good big, and 
I think it just all comes down to what R.J. Cole is, right? Like, if, if R.J. Cole at the high major level is a plus point guard, you know, uh, and I think he can be. You know, he's a really good creator. He can pass. He's a gifted, gifted shot maker, and he's not afraid of taking tough shots. Like, then you've got something there, especially with a guy like Jalen Gaffney's continued development, a guy like Andre Jackson coming in as a freshman. Maybe Adama Sanogo gives him something, right? Like, then there's something there if you can get guys, like, somewhat healthy. I didn't even mention, um, you know, guys like Tyler Pauly, who had a, you know, solid, solid year. You know, really hit shots, and, you know, if he can get healthy, go ahead, right? Like, there's a lot of question marks. I buy that. But if R.J. Cole is what UConn fans think R.J. Cole is, I understand why they think they should be a top 25 team preseason. Right. I mean, Cole put up enormous numbers at Howard. Um, it's going to be interesting because, you know, down the stretch, UConn benched Gilbert in favor of Jalen Gaffney. So, so they put in a lot of minutes for Gaffney, right? They gave him the reins a little bit. Um, so it would kind of be a little weird for him not to start. So, you know, I've I've not seen a single UConn fan predict a starting lineup with both Cole and, and, and Gaffney in it, uh, which I think is a possibility, certainly with a cook not being ready for the start of the season. Um, so it, it would be interesting if they, you know, went with those dual ball handlers in, in the backcourt. Um, I don't really have a pulse on whether UConn will do it. I know obviously at a URI Hurley played, you know, four guards pretty consistently, um, you know, multiple point guards at the same time. Um, so, so that certainly could be a look there. Uh, and then Isaiah Whaley is someone who really came on toward the end of the year. I know a lot of, UConn fans are thinking he starts over Carlton. Um, you know, could could see that going either way. But you know, that's that's another guy coming off the bench, had a strong year. Um, so so you have a, a veteran in, in Whaley or a veteran in Carlton coming off the bench. Um, so so there are reasons for optimism. I just really can't get get behind the top twenty five upside without their their healthy power forwards and then. As uh, you mentioned, it's going to really depend on if R.J. Cole can, you know, closely resemble Howard R.J. Cole. Yeah, and I, I also think, like, generally, we talked about this a little last week, this is the first time in a couple of years where you actually feel good about the back end of the top 25, at least in a relative sense. Oh, yeah. Where, like, well, I think in the last couple of years, I can speak for both of us in saying we felt like you'd get to, like, somewhere between 14 and 19 teams, and then it's just like, all right, pick a bubble team out of your half that you think will be good. You know, bet, bet, bet on one. And I don't think it feels like that this year. And so a team like UConn, I think, would be perceived a little bit differently uh, last year than this year. I will say that. Absolutely. I, I made, like, a first run through of my top 25. And as I kind of predicted on – uh, the last week's podcast, I had about 32 top 25 teams. So, so there were about seven teams that are like clearly top 25 caliber that you're not putting in. So like for, for a lot of people, it's going to be Ohio State, Michigan, Rutgers, you know, big, big chunk of that, Big Ten, and then a lot of SEC. Like Arkansas is a team I thought I'd have been that I don't really even have that close, you know, when you really stack up, you know, 
stack up the teams, um, especially those um, ACC teams too. I mean, Louisville's roster is really dependent on a lot of guys making a jump, uh, but they have a ton of talent there. Uh, can make make the same case for for UNC and Florida State, which are rosters that are a little more in flux as well. Um, so there is a lot of talent this year. Uh, the Big East though should have five teams at, at a minimum, I think, in. Um, and then you have six through nine, you can make a case as a, as a tournament team as well. Yeah. Well, I think we should, should stay here uh, in, in the Big East um, because there's a transfer we haven't hit on um, from a couple weeks ago uh, in Ben Stanley to Xavier. That is a very significant move. In, in terms of the, the general landscape, particularly because he is aggressively pursuing a waiver uh, to play right away for the Xavier team. And if he gets that, I mean, that is a massive, massive waiver, right? I mean, that's a not one you would have expected. Like, like, how often in late July can you go out and get a guy of Ben Stanley's caliber who might be able to play this year? And that front court really needs, like, an explosive athlete, like, like Stanley, right? You have Fremantle, who's very skilled, has good size. Carter, ideally, is like more of a stretch four type, has a little more perimeter skill. Uh, Brian Griffin's kind of in between. We don't know a ton about him because he's coming from a lower level where where he put up big numbers. Uh, but he's not supposed to be like an explosive athlete. Uh, and then you get a guy like Stanley in there, who will be a really great fit next to Fremantle in the front court. Uh, listening to some Xavier coverage. I was surprised how lukewarm the reception of Stanley was. I, I thought that, that they, they would be a lot more kind of gung-ho, like, yes, slot him into power forward, move uh, Jason Carter to the bench, and you know we found like this great piece to slot in. Um, but it seemed like they were a little higher on a, uh, Adam Kunkel, which uh, certainly surprised me. Uh, Kunkel's definitely going to sit out. Yeah. Um, but... You know, Stanley, if if he's eligible, I guess the, the 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 people who follow Xavier more closely think he'll come off the bench and play, you know, 12 to 15 minutes a game, maybe a little higher than that. And then next year would be the starting four next to Fremantle. Whereas I'm, you know, I, I, they were saying that Jason Carter was a better prospect out of Ohio with with two years of eligibility than Stanley was oh. out of Hampton. Which, I mean, Carter put up huge numbers at Ohio, and that is a, a higher league than the Big South or the MEAC, whatever one Hampton was in last year. Um, but Carter was not great last year, and he, he really seemed to struggle with his confidence. Um, I, I just love that potential Stanley-Fremantle pairing uh, too much. Right. Well, I think, I think one of the things that I view about Stanley over a guy like Jason Carter is the athleticism and the ability to block shots, right? Like, Ben, the thing about Stanley is, like, he's 6'6", 225. That's not, like, great power forward size. But, you know, he's so big and physical. He can face up. He can go to the rim. He can hit a, hit a jump shot, especially in mid-range. Like, I think the touch is fine. He made 65% from free throw line, so he's not, not that bad there. Like, he's just, like, that aggressive four men who can handle the ball. They put him in ball screens a lot at Hampton with Jermaine Marrow. Um, and so I just think it creates a lot of options uh, for Travis Steele. And just, I think it just 
you know, the depth is the other thing that it, that it really brings, assuming he gets the waiver, right? Like, we were looking at this team and saying, okay, well, you know, if everything breaks right, you know, they could they could make the tournament. You know, I wouldn't bet on it, but everything breaks right. Well, this gives you another spin of the wheel, right? Like, Ben Stanley is not a guaranteed, you know, 10-plus point-a-game player in the, um, in the Big East, but he gives you another roll of the dice and a little less reliance on, you know, you know, a guy like Colby Jones, you know, a little less, little less reliance there, a little less reliance on, you know, Nate Johnson, grad transfer guard, I mean, to a little less reliance just overall, you know, it, it just, it just increases the floor, I think quite a bit and the ceiling. So obviously a take no matter what. And another, another example of just how good a job that Travis Steele does in the portal, right? Like, Kunkel was a we we kind of talked about this last time with Kunkel, but like he has really crushed it every year, pretty much in terms of going to the portal and just filling needs. Absolutely, and they they really only struck gold with with Zach Hankins. Um, they did okay with guys like well, what uh, uh, Karen Cantor was was Chris Mack, I think. Um, I think Steele did okay with like a Kyle Castlin or um, Wellage wasn't great. Did did they have someone else last year besides Carter uh, on on the transfer market? They had gotten uh, more. Oh, uh, more more wasn't great either. But those were the right kind of. They made the right players. move. They just didn't get the right. They they got the wrong kid. Right. They just weren't as good as anticipated. But yeah, to your point, I mean with. Without Stanley, I mean, Xavier has a pretty clear top nine, and it feels like at number 10, they're kind of bullish on Deontay Miles as a redshirt freshman. You throw in Stanley, now you have like a clear 10 of you know, either freshmen that were you know, a guy like Colby Jones, who people really like as like an athletic wing, Dewan Odom coming off the bench as like a top 50 recruit, CJ Wilcher giving them some, some uh, shooting coming off the bench. Like one of those guys might not even play, right? If a Stanley gets a waiver, just speaking to how much depth that would add to that front court um, and kind of have that um, give them someone who is a little more versatile too. Because uh, Griffin, Carter, Fremantle, they're all kind of more traditional big men. They can't really play on the wing as much, you know, even though Carter, I think, started a lot at, at the three um, when Fremantle and, and uh, Tyree Jones started together last year. I mean, he's he's really like you know a, a four, maybe even a four or five, uh, for uh, Xavier's kind of most optimal lineups. You know that just gives him another guy, who who's a little more versatile as well. Yeah, no, agreed. This league is going to be fun. It's going to be really deep, uh, and it's going to continue to get deeper every single year. You know, the recruiting continues to be really strong, um, and another recruit to watch in this league. Marquette grabbing a guy in Stevie Mitchell, who I know you're a big fan of, Brad. Yeah, I really like the uh, the Steve, Stevie Mitchell pickup because, you know, he's billed as a scoring guard. Marquette's had great success under Wojo with the scoring guards, whether it's Andrew Rousey or Marcus Howard. Um, maybe could even see a return to form of a Kobe McEwen this year, second year. Um, playing for Marquette third year in the program. We'll see if he can kind of right the ship. And then they got DJ Carton. So, you know, part of, 
part of the reason why I like this so much is so they'll have Cardin and Perez who will be juniors in 21-22 if uh, Perez doesn't get a waiver, which I don't think that they would even pursue. And then you have two top 150 type guards in Mitchell and Cam Jones. Jones is a shooter um, with a little bit of size. Mitchell also has good size and is, is a build as a scorer. You kind of re- rebuilt your future backcourt there. That's two two grades behind the uh, incumbent starters. Um, and you know, Wojo knows how to let guards loose and have have guards score. And then from the from the Marquette perspective, I mean, you're you're really stocking up on talent. Uh, they they definitely need a center in, in a 21-22. But I mean, Dawson Garcia is fantastic at, at, at power forward. You know, he can score inside and out. He could be the, the leading scorer on that team next year, either him or DJ Carton. Um, so there's plenty of talent up and down the roster, and uh, Marquette's in great shape moving forward. Marquette is, in, is such a weird program in that, like, I feel like there have been multiple moments in the last, like, two to three years where we've said, like, all right, Wojo has no shot, right? Like, it's oh, like, they, like they're, they're screwed. Like, Wojo can't coach. Like, they're falling off. You know, they don't have guys. They're in trouble. You know, and then all of a sudden they like make two ads, and you're like, "All right, Marquette's going to be really good for a long time." And the reality is, I think they're probably just going to continue to be this like six to eleven seed program for the long haul, right? Like, I think that's kind of where Marquette stands in the college basketball landscape. I think that's where a team coached by Wojo stands. I mean, it's not surprising. I think eventually you get sick of it, but like, it's hard to say no to it, too. Well, I, I mean, all right. So for for this upcoming year, I have Marquette as like a ten seed. I think that's probably where where most people are going to have them. To your point, but I mean, twenty one, twenty two, right? We're talking about a junior DJ Carton, who could be first team all all Big East. Dawson Garcia as a sophomore, right? He'll be like a thirteen, fourteen point per game scorer. I know a lot of people really like Justin Lewis. Playing center next year and they and they have all these you know they have they have like a good good kind of formula where they have the two scoring guards one of which is more of a shooter and they have like a small guard who plays a three who'll be like a glue guy type like a greg elliott or a samir torrance um and then they have some some skilled big men and i it like if they can add like a macabre etienne who, who i know that they're going after a top 50 big man in class of 2021 then you know, as a John John Rostein would say, you know, that's like a Noah's Ark roster. They got two of everything, and and in the high end talent would be legit to be like a top twenty five team. Obviously, that's looking ahead very far, but but the talent would uh, be there. And you know, they had a top twenty five team with the Housers two seasons ago. If the Housers came back this year, who knows how how good Marquette could have been? I think that's a great what if. Right? Because, like, A, I think we all kind of, one of the big questions with Marquette, like, when people started to hype Marquette this for this year, before the Howarsers left, it feels very similar to, like, the Iowa hype this year, where it's like, well, we don't really know who's an elite team, and they've got some really good players, and they were good enough that we could see them making another step. Like, does, does it not feel the same way where 
I'm just I'm just kind of spitballing here, but it just feels very similar to me. And I've been trying to pinpoint where I stand on the uh, on this Iowa team, and I just thought of this Marquette team as a very comparable one. Right. I think one of the the, the potential issues with Marquette would have been that you don't really need both Hauser brothers. Like they're kind of redundant. Like, they're very good, but they both should be playing power forward. They both kind of do similar things. Sam's a better shooter. Better shooter. Joey's a little better kind of posting up that smaller wing. But they both weren't great defenders. It, it just kind of hurts your roster construction, I think. So they had plenty of talent. Right? Um, but when, when you have... Marcus Howard and then the, the two Housers. Feel like you probably wanted one of the Housers and then like a more ath- athletic wing in there. Hmm. Yeah. That's true. All right, what's next? Uh, so we have another transfer. Nojel Eastern going from Purdue to Howard. This, I mean, this was very divisive. A lot of people really don't like Nojel Eastern. And I know why. It's because he can't shoot at all. Uh, but I, I, I think people are really doing him a disservice as a player. Right? He, he's a he, capable high major player. He can contribute on a high major team. It's just for him to be a starter, for, for him to be one of your best players, his fit is so specific. He's a perfect fit when you have Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein in, in the backcourt with you. Last year we saw with those guys gone and kind of lesser versions of those guys in Proctor, Sasha Stefanovic, and Hunter, his uh, Eastern's weaknesses were more profound. But that doesn't mean he's a bad player. He could have helped a high major team, but because the fit is so specific and he wants to have more freedom than he should have moving down to Howard was a, you know, was a great fit. He gets to play with McCurr maker. He'll, he'll, he'll get some uh, publicity this way and he'll, he'll, he'll put up solid numbers. He's not going to average four points a game at Howard. And well, I think so, that's, that's a point that I think people are missing. Right. So I, I, I think people got way too hard on no gel. I agree. He was terrible this year. Like no one's denying he was really bad. We also can't just, like, outwardly forget that on that 2018-2019 Purdue team that was a prayer away from the Final Four, he averaged 8.6 rebounds, 3 assists, and was the best defensive player on the team. Right? Like, he was legitimately very impactful. And his style of play, you know, the fit you mentioned that's so challenging in the Big Ten, is not at all challenging in the you know MIAC especially right like any any mid to low major conference a guy who is 6'5 who can handle the ball who can get to the rim who can score a will it doesn't matter if they can't really shoot that guy will be a very impactful player and even you know even if he didn't bring what he brings defensively if he didn't what he bring what he brings as as a good like secondary creator like just his like big physical like I'm gonna go get buckets and go to the rim and rebound like that would be valuable in the MIAC. Like people, people called me crazy for saying he's going to be a top three player in that league. Probably the best one, of, probably maybe the best player in the league. Like compare Nojel Eastern to Malik Ellison, 
I thought this was a really good like thought exercise. Malik Ellison, 6'6", 215, no gel, 6'7", 225. M- Malik Ellison averaged, at St. John's, his best season, averaged seven points, three rebounds, and two assists, and, like, actually made threes that year. But, like, he wasn't a, he was never a shooter. Um, on, like, a much worse St. John's team. Like, I think that St. John's team came in last place. Yeah. Maybe 7-11 in the Big East. Right? He goes down to Hartford after, like, two years of barely doing anything. And he averages 19 points, 10 rebounds, and two assists. Is anyone debating that Nogel Eastern isn't better than Malik Ellison? Is Nogel Eastern not better? I think Nogel Eastern's. I'm a, I'm a Sienna fan. I love Manny Camper. I think Manny Camper's fantastic. He's a great kid. I, you know, I've never heard a bad word about Manny Camper. If you gave me Nogel Eastern tomorrow over Manny Camper, I'd take him. Nogel's a better defender. He's, be, he's probably going to be better at the rim. He's bigger. Like, those dudes aren't made in the MIAC. Those dudes aren't made in the MAC or the Sun Belt or the CAA. Like, like I don't, I don't understand. I think people swung too far in the opposite direction of like how, like how bad No Gel was this year, to realize like how different the fundamentals of the situation will be in it. Right, No Gel Eastern is gonna just be. <laughs> he, he's gonna dominate opposing point guards on the defensive end. Like he's six seven, and a terrific perimeter defender. The opposing point guard at six feet tall is just going to be swallowed up. He's going to be just like a complete disruptor on the defensive end. And you know, even if you know, I'm not super familiar with the other pieces of Howard's roster besides Maker and Eastern, but you can slide Eastern to the four, and he'd still be super disruptive. You know, like you can play three small guards with Eastern to Maker. You know, that's yeah. You know, to, to your point, people swung way way too much in the other direction because he's so flawed. They're they're missing what he's going to dominate at. Uh, he's so much bigger. He he can play point guard. He shouldn't play point guard at the high major level, but he can play point guard, and he's going to be amazing on the defensive end. And he's going to overpower opposing guards. But you know. You're- I think, I, I think, though, you were too high on, on, on Howard as a team. You know, I don't think that they're anywhere close to a top 100. Top 100 was too aggressive. I'll concede yes. that. But am I crazy for thinking, like, no gel will be better than McCurr Maker? No. Right? Like, I feel like people unnecessarily hype Maker when, like, no gel pro- – I think no gel might be better than Maker this year. So so they have two two of the best players in the MIAC, but not the two best players in the MIAC. Assuming Maker winds up being Maker. Then they have this kid, Jordan Wood from Houston, who I read a, an article that is like a three-star recruit that they think is really good. Um, then they have, you know, a couple of guys who played this year. Zion Cousins is the best, like, rotation player that they have. They have a freshman point guard in Raheem Ali, who I think might wind up playing um, a fair amount. I watched him because Seattle offered, and I thought he looked okay. He's a Maryland kid. I think he played that level. He saw a Miak recruit. But, like, yeah, they're definitely not top 100 unless, like, Maker and No Gel just really wreck. But, like, I still think they have a good chance to win the league. Like, I don't think – I don't understand people being like, oh, my God, the Miak is so good. Like, they have Sharon Wright and Eli Wright and Troy Baxter. Someone tried to convince me that Trevor Moore, Troy Baxter, Anthony Tarkey, and Sharon Wright were better than No Gel Eastern. I mean, how did we get to this point? 
So right. So Baxter couldn't play at UNLV or Florida Gulf Coast, right? He 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 definitely couldn't couldn't hack it at UNLV, right? Tarkey couldn't hack it at UTEP. Sharon Wright couldn't hack it at Wake Forest. He had a good freshman year, took a step back sophomore year. Trevor Moore, at least, right? Trevor Moore is, is, is the shooter who can't shoot. But those guys miss a bunch of shots. They're, they're you know, early in their careers. And then later in their careers, they're usually very good players and very good shooters. So I still have some hope on Trevor Moore. Maybe, you know, the, the only one uh, of that group that you could even argue would be if Trevor Moore comes out and shoots 40% from three. Say, okay, maybe. But Eastern is going to be so good defensively, so much better than anyone in that league defensively. I, I don't know how much stock you put into, like, awards and stuff, but he's two-time all-Big Ten defense. Going to the MIAC at six foot seven, who guards perimeter players. It's, it's, it's going to be a, a sight to watch. He hounded ball handlers in the, in the Big Ten, picked them up at half court. It's crazy. Yeah, 100%. Uh, he's he's going to be really good. And, and good for him, right? Like, he took, he took it on the chin, and, like, we can talk about y'all we want. We can say, oh, well, maybe he, you know, didn't actually have any good options and Howard's a good spot for him to rebuild his stock or, you know. Pe- yeah, pe- people will frame it however they want to frame it, but the bottom line is, like, the kid's going to a situation where he'll get to play in a role that's a lot different than what he played in at Purdue, and he's always wanted to do more offensively, I think, and this will be a good opportunity for him to show that next to Caremaker. How about, is this our first double waiver? We have Ian Steer going from St. John's to UNC Wilmington. He's been given a waiver to play right away. I'm almost positive he got a waiver to play right away after going from NC State to St. John's. I guess I would need someone to fact check me on that, but I'm almost positive. Which would mean he's the first double waiver. And no one cares because no one actually wanted him. Yeah, I mean, this was a perfect, like, local coach with connections gets a job and just takes a kid because he's talent. You know, he has talent, right? Like, you don't get a guy who moves quite like Ian Steer at six, at the size of Ian Steer at 6'9 at that level. And so, you know, that's a, that, that's a roll of the dice and hope he becomes your center because your other two options are god-awful at that spot, right? Like, they just don't have anything. They're probably not getting a waiver for Joe Pridgen, who I think is going to be terrific at UNCW. Um, he was a guy that I thought was a steal um, for um, – I'm really blanking on who UNC Wilmington hired. He was on yeah. the NC State staff. I was going to say C.B. McGrath, but that's who they let go. Yes. Head coach. Oh, wait, he was on the NC State Takayo staff? Siddle. Takayo Siddle. That's the one. My apologies, Coach Siddle. Uh you know, right? like, so, Bridgen's going to be really good. Steer was on, or, or sorry, uh, Siddle was on the NC State staff when Steer was there? Yes, he follows. He was with, he was the top assistant with, with Kevin Keats at UNCW. And then he tried for the job at NC State, or uh, at UNCW when it opened. They gave it to CB. And then, so he followed, went to um, NC State. And then spent the entire Keats tenure at NC State so far with him and came back. I mean, that was a program when uh, Keats was there. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I saw them play in person against Duke. Uh, I remember Brandon that. Ingram, 
Grayson Allen at the dunk first round of the NCAA tournament. That was a very fun game. Uh, and they got two they got two kids late here, uh, Juwan Carr and Jamari Harvey, um, both of whom are in-state kids, both of whom were, I wouldn't say like high major guys, but like priority mid-major late recruits that they were to keep in state. So that's a good step for Takayo Siddle as well. They got to kind of rebuild it from the from the start. But it's a, it's, a, it's a start to get a core like that young. Speaking of a team loading up on centers, Mississippi State takes Javian Davis from Alabama, who was a rotation guy. He redshirted his first year and then was a rotation guy this year. But Ben Howland loves his centers, right? Because this year, right, you had Abdullah Du, you had Reggie Perry, who, who you slid up to the four. You could argue that he's both a four and a five. We had Abdullah Du, you had Prince Oduro, right? He loves taking these like center transfers who don't have like a super great path to playing time. Because this year, Adu's back for senior year, and he took Tolu Smith, who was the backup to Charles Bassey of Western Kentucky. And then uh, Abdullah leave, and Smith will be the starter in 21 22, maybe. And then you have Davis. Find him. So maybe he just David should probably be able to start over over Smith, you would think. Uh, people love Smith. You know, he, he had all all high major uh, looks after transferring. So I mean to your point, Smith could be the Prince Oduro in this situation and be on his way out after this year. Uh, but either way, Howland loves taking big man transfers and um, I guess this was a good fit. I I was thinking maybe Wake Forest, you know, he could be part of a rebuild and you know, he could more likely start. Um, but this is a solid spot. I don't think Mississippi State is very good for this, com- for this upcoming year. They have no backcourt depth at all. Uh, they have a few solid pieces, but the, you know, they're going to need a lot of these guys to surprise, uh, especially these like three, four, uh, three-star recruits that they have coming off the bench. I feel like back-to-back years, and I feel bad about this because usually I try to avoid it happening in back-to-back years, but two years in a row, Mississippi State's had like a legitimate team, and I just don't feel like I watched them more than twice the entire year. And in those two watches, it was like pretty quick. And like, I don't know why that is, because I watch a fair amount of SEC basketball. Like, I feel like I watched a stunningly large amount of Tennessee this year. A ton of Arkansas, right? But I, I like Mississippi State. I don't think I watched like at all. Um, Here's why: is it because Nick Weatherspoon was suspended, so that took yeah. all the air out of their out of their sails, and and they dropped a, I think a bye game to maybe Louisiana Tech, maybe another bye game, um, and then they were just like floating around the bubble where they had, te- you know, they had tournament level talent. They had guy in Reggie Perry who, who could make the NBA. They had a guy in Robert Woodard who will make the NBA. And they're just kind of floating in the mediocrity. Yeah, that is true. It was – it's pretty weird that they weren't better, right? Like two, two legit – very legit pros. And they weren't a little better. I mean, they just need – looking forward, right? Like they need DJ Stewart, Iverson Molinar – those dudes have to continue to develop into really solid, like, long-term pieces. 
and then you can start to look ahead, right? Like if you have if you have a core this year of Stewart, Witherspoon, and Molinar and Adu, and then just kind of round it out. has gone. He is. He went pro. He's not in verbals. Damn it. He he was one of these these guys, you know, like the Jordan Tucker, um, you know, guys like that, uh, uh, Brendan Bailey too, that bailed in like May. And are probably going to be <laughs> sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> I'm not sure what they're going to be doing, um, but he he's someone who definitely should have came back because yeah, I mean he would have been the best player. Um, instead, they're going to start a freshman in a Davion Smith and Iverson Molinar at the two, and that's that's their whole backcourt. Yeah, that is a really ugly team. I had forgotten that Witherspoon was was toast. That that really changes my perspective here. They're going to be like twelfth or, you know, eleventh or twelfth in the SEC. Yeah, well, and it's such a good league too, right? Like, like you can't you can't even make an argument for them to be better than Bama, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee. Like, you can't even make an argument for them to be above like ninth. Well, and. I- and then are you I, like are you passing him on Ole Miss? Are you passing him over Mizzou? Like, I don't think so. So, so this is something. Why, why are, are are you and everyone else so high on Auburn? I, I see Auburn down at the bottom, with with Mississippi State and with Vanderbilt. No. What about that Auburn team is giving you this, this, this confidence? Well, Bruce Pearl for one. Right? Like, I don't think we can just ignore that Bruce Pearl has been a top five, co- top five-ish coach in the country the last three years. If I could interject one thing, though, I I did look at my top twenty, my you know rankings from last year, and I had forgotten that I was right about Virginia. Right, I had Virginia like thirtieth. Everyone else had them eight, nine, ten. Oh, you you can't doubt Tony Bennett, and that Tony Bennett team. Had a much better roster than this Auburn team. This oh, Auburn team really? is a bunch of this. Oh, much much better. Huff, Giacchite, and Key would be the best or second best player on this Auburn team. Huff, Huff, and Giacchite, I think, would clearly be the best player on this Auburn team. I was told they had no talent. I mean, okay, so so experience wise, yes. So 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 there's a gap here where Virginia had no talent last year. And Auburn has no experience. But what what talent on Auburn are you so high on? I mean, is it? But because I I can see freshman Sharif Cooper, yeah, right, Sharif Cooper five star. He's gonna score twenty a game. Dynamic point guard. He's might need rounding out this shots, roster. But he's gonna take twenty, get twenty a game. Right, Anthony Edwards, Georgia, right? But the 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 rest of the starting lineup, right? So at the two is gonna be Jamal Johnson. Who's a shooter who played a little, you know, he he was fine last year. At the threes, Alan Flanagan played a little, was fine last year. At the four, I guess JT Thor, top fifty freshman. And at center, Babatunde Agingbola, who barely played, but he will be a rim protector. That's that's yeah. your starting lineup. So that's 
no one who started, right? Three, two, two guys who were eighth or ninth men, and then two, two, two freshmen. The whole bench is unproven. So, I like... I like Devin Cambridge a lot. I think you probably agree. I do too, but he's not a scorer. I think that's the crux of it, right? Like, who is your second scorer? I assume it's Flanagan. Maybe, maybe like Tyrell Jones, even. Who didn't play much this past year, right? Right. Right. I mean, all these guys. Well, that's the thing. Is like Auburn was. Auburn was so senior heavy, it's hard to tell if their freshmen stunk or if they were just not going to play, right? Like, I will say this team not getting, like, a normal summer hurts because this was a huge development summer for Jalen Williams, Tyrell Jones, Alan Flanagan, Jamal Johnson, Devin Cambridge, Stretch Atkinson, and they didn't get that. And it was a big summer as well for, you know, your – you're Justin Powell and you're Chris Moore. Like they do have a I don't know where their class rank is. I don't have it in front of me. They have five four star recruits. Well, five four and above star recruits in a freshman class. Like we Wait, can't just like summarily dismiss. In their in their twenty twenty class? Yeah. No, they have Cooper's a five-star. Thor's a four-star. Everyone else is a three-star, right? Hold on a second here. I'm pulling my, my 24 right. I want to say... Hardwell like is definitely a three-star. Powell could be a four-star. Team rankings. One moment. We're, we're going to litigate this. 2020. So Auburn is the ninth-best class. They're listing their three guys as three stars. You are correct. They got Chris Moore as barely a three star, 139. They have Cardwell as 161 and Powell at 175. Verbals has all of those guys at four star. Yeah, but Verbals doesn't do Ver- rankings. Correct. They're ranking stuff. Verbals just, just led me. When they, when they make a profile for a player, they put the stars that they have at, at the time, and, and they never touch it. It causes so much confusion on the message boards. Like, people are, like, losing their minds when, like, top, top 50 guys are, you know, have, a, have a two-star on verbal. It, like, literally breaks brains. I was, in fairness, uh, with a dead iPad just trying to quickly scroll the verbals at the last second, and overrated Dylan Cardwell, unfortunately. But right, it's still like a developmental developmental summer for those guys. Like the point still stands. I I don't think that this talent I, level is nearly I as understand, high. I understand the talent question. I'm also not sure that I'm taking this Mississippi State team over them, you know? Well, I mean that's 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 why I said that. I think that those are my bottom three teams in the SEC. Let me just do a quick well, Vanderbilt, on that. obviously Vanderbilt and Georgia, right? Right, right. So that's that's that that's my bottom four: is Georgia, or sorry, so Vanderbilt, Georgia, Auburn, Mississippi State, and then A and M. You have above them. Oh yeah, definitely. A and M in Missouri and South Carolina above them. 
Okay. Man, that lead, depending on how that bottom fleshes out, it could be pretty bad. Like, the, the dichotomy between, like, the elite top and a very mediocre bottom, I mean, you could see some teams just racking up wins. Because Texas A&M ha- has a lot of talent, and they close the year well. But going from Nebo to Marfo at center is going to be a downgrade. Right? Nebo, better athlete, rim protector. Marfo is like more physical and a rebounder. I think, I think that's, that's going to be a downgrade. And then you don't really solve your point guard conundrum there. Uh, but they have some real appealing prospects off the bench. Right? So I'm guessing they start the year with Andre Gordon at de facto point guard. Maybe they give it to Hassan Giard. Giard is not a point guard. He's more of like a Marcus Smart type, right? Where he he can play point guard, but he's at his best. He's flying around, causing havoc, being super aggressive. And you have Cassius McNeely, who redshirted last year, who's a scoring guard, um, who's highly rated. And they got Jackson Robinson to reclassify from 2021. They have Emmanuel Miller, who's like this perfect new age, um, kind of undersized five, right? He, he'd be like a normal four, and now you can slide him to five. Um, so there's a lot going off the bench for Texas A&M. It's just point guard's an issue. I find it wild, and this is just where we're at the official just like ramble mode time, because we don't know when there's going to be college basketball, but we're enjoying talking about all these teams. Like, I remember watching Emmanuel Miller – when he played on the Canada team with R.J. Barrett and Prince Oduro. So that team was R.J. as a junior into his senior year of high school, Prince Oduro right before his freshman year, um, some other guys on the Canada team, Lindell Wigington, uh, Danilo Juricic, who played at Harvard. He's going to be a senior, I think, this year. Um, they also have Noah Kirkwood, who's at Harvard. He's really good. He was, he's he's be a junior. And Miller was just so much younger than everybody else on the team. And I knew he was going to be a stud. And he had some really big games down the stretch. Like, he had a game at Georgia where he had 21-10. and 10. Uh, He had a 19-point performance against Florida. Like, I think he's going to play. I, I, think, I think he's going to eventually have to shoot it. But his, his game plays at, at the highest level. I do like him quite a bit. As do I. You know, just, just that, that, that archetype of player, too. I think it's really effective. Um, so I guess moving back toward the, the, the transfer waiver territory. Georgia Tech gets two waivers. They get one for Kyle Sturdivant. Yeah. Who I think is going to bolster their bench and then be their starter next year when Alvarado leaves. Uh, so, so he's a former top 150 recruit. Went to USC. I know I thought, and most people thought, he'd come off the bench, be you know, a nice scoring guard, play some point guard. He was beat out by Ethan Anderson, uh, who was a lower-ranked recruit, but took that starting job. Um, so Sturdivant is going back home to Georgia. He, he gets the waiver uh, in what's a very good Georgia Tech backcourt that has uh, Michael Devo and Jose Alvarado as the incumbent starters. And they have Bubba Parham, who was a big scorer at VMI, who only averaged a few points. Last year at Georgia Tech after getting a waiver himself. Um, but potential year two transfer bounce back, which we've seen so many times. Uh, and then they boasted their front court where they only had really a pair of freshmen at center. Well, 
most notably Saba Jiberia with a top 150 uh, traditional center. Now they get Rodney Howard to compete with minutes with, with uh, Saba. Uh, Howard was a three-star recruit, played a little in Georgia. Uh, I mean, they, they have a lot of guys, um, a lot of comparable guys, too. So he didn't play a ton and was kind of recruited over. He's off to Georgia Tech where he should compete for starting minutes. Not great, but get a guy with some experience is better than just throwing a pair of freshmen out there. Uh, for a Georgia Tech team that has legitimate tournament aspirations, I don't I was I, I'm, I, I'm I'm right on the on, on the cusp for them. I I compare their roster with Miami and Clemson and Syracuse if Alan Griffin gets a waiver. And with those four teams, I could see any of those teams make it or be in IT. So, A, I, I still laugh every time I check the uh, ACC standings from this year and realize that Georgia Tech just kind of slid into fifth. Um, B, you're correct. This is a, these are good waivers. This, this helps. I think Sturdivant in particular would be really solid for them. Um, and, right, like, they had, they had three really they, – they, they had four really good players, right? Like, Banks is a really good run protector. Alvarado is a steady point guard. DeVoe has really turned himself into a um, into a star in, in, at the ACC level. And Moses Wright, you know, for for all the bumps and, and the shakiness that you sometimes see with him, like he averaged 13-7 last year. And I think at that point you kind of have to be like, all right, cool. Um, now, do they have enough? Like this feels very Boston College-esque where they keep adding enough to be relevant or like to not forget about them. Like they're a step above Boston College. And that they, you know, they they, they go, uh, they, they give you just enough to keep you interested, but not enough to, like, actually be a tournament-caliber talent team. Um, but Jordan Usher, I mean, he continued to come on down the stretch. Maybe he takes one more leap and really gives him something. It gives you a roll of the dice, right? And I think that's what you're really looking for if you're a, if you're a team of Georgia's X caliber, right? You have, you have your core... You know, maybe maybe a Sturdivant is the guy. Maybe a Bubba Parham is the guy who makes the jump. Maybe Rodney Howard gives you good enough center minutes, right? Like, you're looking for guys who raise the floor. And these moves certainly raise the floor. I mean, so Georgia Tech was 64th in, in Ken Palm last year. Had the 16th best defense. That will obviously... The rating will go up, right? Like, they're going to have a worse defense without Banks. Uh, but the, their, their offense should be improved. Uh, you know, you can slide Moses right to the five, maybe slide Usher to the four, play a little smaller that, that way as well as you know, utilizing the two centers, who, uh, Saba and, and, and Howard, who we mentioned earlier. Um, I, I see some people with them as a tournament lock. I can't get there. Uh, but starting from 64th in Ken Palm and only losing one starter, that, that, that puts you in, in uh, tournament territory. I mean, they were one spot behind Arizona State and Ken Palm, two spots behind St. Louis, and three behind Texas, right? So Memphis was right in that range, Alabama, St. John's, South Carolina, Clemson. So I think it would be kind of disingenuous to put a team like Clemson in and totally dismiss the Yellow Jackets. That's fair. I mean, I guess my the easy retort is Georgia Tech was 171st in offensive efficiency this year, and teams that are that bad offensively don't make the NCAA tournament. And teams that relied on Virginia. <laughs> Virginia is the exception. Two thirty-four in offense. Two thirty-four. 
Oh my god. But but Georgia Tech defensively was top twenty, and I don't know how they replicate that without James Banks, who is one of the better rim protectors in the country. I mean, they were a solid defensive team overall. Like they really competed and they knew they had to. But like I don't know how replicable their defense is by replacing James Banks Brown. It is interesting though, because a lot of these teams that I mentioned, in, you know, that that were in their range, right? Texas was 153rd in offense, 24th in defense. Clemson was 155th in offense, 33rd in defense. South Carolina 122, Rhode Island 126, all in this range. Memphis at 210. Oh my God. So a lot of these teams are in the same boat. Uh, which I didn't, I didn't quite realize. Like I, I had no idea Memphis's offense was that bad. Um, I, I know that you know they were missing Lester Quinones for a time. They, they were missing uh, Jeffries for a couple months. So I'm kind of bullish on their offense, make and making a bounce back between those guys being healthy and everyone, you know, going from freshman to sophomore, for, you know, for the most part. Uh, but it is really, I mean, USC at 145th in offense. A lot of these teams, you know, this is a an underreported storyline. And quite honestly, I'm not sure it gets better this year, right? Like, just generally, like, there was a lot of ugly basketball. I'm not sure how it gets better with teams not having the months to install. Like, how is USC going to get better offensively when you're switching out a Gongwu for Evan Mobley, which you know could be a wash. I, I think uh, a Gongwu might be the better offensive player. You're losing Rakosevich and not in and replacing him with Chavez Goodwin, who was like a well, good again yeah. a good a good defensive player, right? Your backcourt has been gutted. Bit, I think. You're saying you're building a team around the Mobleys. Like this isn't like for like. I don't think that's fair. What do you mean? I don't think they're just going to plug in and say, okay, well, we're going to play Mo- Evan Mobley like a Kongwu. We're going to play, you know, Chavez Goodwin like Rakosevich. Like, they're going no, but to that's, play. But, but, but that's who's taking the minutes. Well, I think they're going to. So, 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 so their lineup next year is three guards, of which the options are poor, and then Evan and Isaiah Mobley. Right. And last year, their options were better guards and a Gongwu, who's going to be a top 10 pick, Rakosevich, who was a terrific senior, and then Isaiah Mobley. USC might be the king of the what the heck were you doing early in the grad transfer market. Like they got good ones, but Weaver. Once Weaver left, they were they were screwed. Well, well, no, we so we gave them credit because they took guys and they had spots left to go chase, and they nearly got a few different guys. Like they were in on Ben Stanley, they were in on um, Nembhard, they were in on a few few different guys. But like, are Taj Edi, Isaiah White, and Drew Peterson and and Chavez Goodwin the best they could do as sitouts this year? With a top five recruit in the country coming in to play center and all the minutes in the world in the backcourt with all the transfers that hit the market this year? Do we think they couldn't have beaten out 
So they couldn't have done better than Tajiri? Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, even with Tajiri and Isaiah White, you should be able to get a starting two guard, right? Because you say, okay, Eddie's going to play 20 minutes, right? He'll play half a point, half a shooting guard. White's going to play some three. He'll play some four. You have Bauman in there. You know, he, he, he can start and be your shooter at the three. And this is gaping hole for a two guard who can get his own shot, which was, a, was Elijah Weaver before he left Dayton. I know uh, on, on the grad market, I was looking at Cesar De Jesus, who ended up going pro, not a picking anywhere. I was looking at him saying, this guy's a perfect fit. He, he's not great, but he, but he can put the ball on the basket, and it's either him or nothing for a USC, right? And, I mean, maybe they can pull a miracle and reclass somebody late, but, I mean, that's a gaping hole. Hundred percent. What else do we have to get to, still, Brad? That's some mid-major waivers. Um, yeah, UIC go. got waivers for anyone who uh, anyone they wanted. They got Tavion Kirk, who sat out at Colorado State, never played for Colorado State. Um, he's going to, US, to UIC, and then Zion Griffin from Iowa State. I, I was always surprised he didn't carve out a role. I I, I liked him. He's a I believe a lefty combo forward. Um, so with Kirk as like a bigger guard, you got him and Griffin who can play power forward in, in the horizon. Um, yeah, that's a great pair of waivers. Yeah, 100%. And I think the other, th- they also got one for Mo Commander um, from you, from uh, ten- uh, Tennessee Chattanooga, who is like not, I don't think it's that same caliber of player as the other two guys you mentioned, but still, like, good enough to to be mentioned. Um, I mean, this is this is a transition year, right? Like, this is – they lose a lot, you know, between Marcus Adi, Godwin Bowen, and Tarkus Ferguson. That was the core that they kept kind of rolling it back every year and just saying, let's try it. Let's try it. And they never got to the NCAA tournament. Um, so, it's, it's reset time. But, you know, they do bring back Michael Diggins and Braylon Bridges, who are solid players. Um, they do have, as you mentioned – um, the core um, of, of transfers with Kirk, who I think will be a good player. They also bring in Raquandis Mitchell, who I think will be very good in that league. Uh, Juco Raquandis Kidd. Mitchell? You mean the former Memphis Tiger? Indeed. And then he went where? He went to the South Dakota State? Mm, Juco. Juco. Yes, Otero Junior College. Or no, he was never at Memphis. He was at Idaho. I think Memphis might have had a different Mitchell. You, you can keep going. I'll, I'll try to find who I'm talking about. Yeah, so so they have a nice little nucleus. I think the whole thing with them is just like finding the like culture change for Luke Yaklich. Like, can they can they install what they want to install? Can they be, you know, can 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 they turn into a team that buys down on the defensive end? Because the defensive numbers, just scrolling through our, our good friends over at Ken Palm, uh, the defensive numbers have not been pretty over the last several years. I don't know why UIC does not show up in Ken Palm, but it is what it is, folks. Um, I'm going to find UIC. Give me a moment here. Oh, so they had Raekwon Mitchell 
three-star commit, 6'2", from Miami, Florida. So there's a Raekwon Mitchell and a Raekwondis Mitchell? Apparently. Are we sure they're not the same person? I... I, I, can't, I can't say for sure. I really can't. I, 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 I don't think he ever played at Memphis. So, so it could be the same guy, but he was committed. Anyway. Yes. I know Rick Wandis Mitchell's a guy that uh, our friend Brandon Goble from Juco Advocate is a, is a big fan of. So that's why I figured I'd give him a, give him a shout. Who else on the waiver front, my friend? I mean, that's basically it for waivers. Um, you had uh, Tavian Jones for, for Southern Utah. Um, he was a freshman. He showed a little promise to Illinois, then was suspended to start this year. This was kind of behind the eight ball on a very good team. Um, James Madison got a bunch of waivers, but they're still in rebuild mode. Um, Actually, hold and, on. let's mention James Madison quick. Can, can we do that? It's all you. I don't think any of the listeners actually care at this point, but I figured, you know, feel free to turn it off, folks. I mean, we're... Do they care about Raekwon versus Raekwondus Mitchell? (laughs) I know I care. This is August, man. This is August. Um, James Madison, I don't actually think is going to be nearly as bad as people think. The talent hasn't been bad every year um, with this group, and Lewis Rowe just did a really poor job, quite frankly. And so while they do lose several guys, like they lost uh, Deshaun Parker, whoever's 10 a game, transfers out. He is going to blank in here, blank in here. Um, Appalachian State, that's the one. Yep, play point. He's like a combo guard. Um, they also lost their big guy, Dwight Wilson, uh, who's 6'9", you know, going to Ohio, uh, who's a nearly a double-double guy. But... The reason why I'm interested is that they still have Matt Lewis, who is one of the better players in the CAA, averaged 19-6-4 this past year. Uh, so he can run the show. And then they have one of our favorites, Brad, Rayshon Fredericks. Oh. Yeah. So, so their lineup looks something like Matt Lewis, either, um, either Jalen Hodge or Votto Morse, Morse played, was 15 a game as a freshman at Mount St. Mary's and then struggled last year, gets a waiver. Uh, Jalen Hodge is like a shooter um, that they got coming in from Louisiana Monroe. So plug in, plug in one of those two guys. Then Rashawn Fredericks at the three. Um, they have Michael Fredericks at the four, or not Michael Fredericks, Michael Christmas at the four, who is a, a freshman, as a freshman, I was like six and five. And then Joel Mensa from San Diego State to round up the lineup. So, probably not relevant, but hey, I mean, if Rashawn Fredericks is good, maybe we're doing something here. So, that wraps up the waivers. But what I did want to do here, okay, is we have. Okay, so before the NBA season started, and I wanted to do this a few weeks ago, but I totally forgot. I took a sporkle quiz to name where every NBA player went to school, either country or college. Um, and there were eight that I couldn't get. Oh, man. So I want to quiz Kevin and see how many of these he can get. 
I'm going to go from the one I was kicking myself the most to the one I was kicking myself the least. And again, this is college, and if they're international, what country they're from. The challenge, the challenge I have. So, so what happens if they're a prep to pro? They're not. Okay. Um, the challenge I have is I'm like, I think four years younger than Brad. So I have like a four years of like random college guys missing. Right. But I, I was primarily, right. Like I, when I first started following college basketball was Keno Davis Providence and slowly branched out to more big East. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like a full national college basketball obsession until probably 2012. So right. it might be a, a little more, more aligned. I got a shot. I got um, a shot. Give a shot. The first one is Kent Bazemore. Old Dominion. Yep, that was the one I was like, oh my God. All right, Kent Bazemore. Second one, Garrett Temple. Um, that is a great question. Did he go to Texas? LSU. Was he good? No. He was like a role player each year. And then latched on to the Raptors as an undrafted rookie, you know, be a role player. But I think his NBA numbers are better than his college numbers. All right, next we have Goga Batadze. I was looking for a country here. This is the Republic of Georgia. Yes. Yeah. All right. Next, I'm kicking myself on this one because I've looked this one up 10 million times. David Nawaba. Oh, Cal Poly. Yes. Yep. Another guy who, like, wasn't even, like, he was good. But he wasn't, like, the best player in the league. In the big south, in the uh, big west, he was just like a random like I play really hard and I'll latch on summer league somewhere. He's a good NBA player too. Right, he's a, he's a hurt right now, but when he makes the um, three, he is very good. Right, six five with a seven foot wingspan. Well, that was the whole reason why he got a summer league deal. Yeah. Next is Adam Makoka. Looking for a country. I didn't even know he's in the NBA. Chicago Bulls two-way. He played on Mega B Max with Goga Batadze. Oh man, I might be making that up. How about Montenegro? But... France. I shot too random. Oh well. <laughs> All right. Next we have Josh Maggetti. Josh Maggetti. He's been a two-way guy with the Magic, and this year, I think the Hawks. He's been on multiple NBA teams. Wait, 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 wait. Didn't he go to, like, Alabama-Huntsville? Wow. What a, what a pull. Josh, Josh McGetty's a guy who, if you have NBA draft prospects who are not point guards, he's the perfect point guard for your summer league team. He doesn't turn it over. He's a just real solid. He's he's so much like David Stockton. Okay. All right. Two more. William Howard. We're looking for a country. 
William Howard? On on the Utah Jazz. I think he may have gotten cut at some point this year. Where where did uh I I don't I didn't know this person existed. Um is he Australian? He's French. Another Frenchman. Wow. He's a two way wing. Two way is in like a three and D type wing. Yeah. Jazz Jazz picked up in the offseason. He made the team. I think he may have gotten cut at some point. Maybe for like uh, Juwan Morgan, maybe. Uh, and last but not least, Gabe Vincent, Miami Heat. Easy. UC Santa Barbara. Come on. Yeah. I had. I had no idea about Gabe Vincent. So those, those I saw that eight. he was in the system. I couldn't believe it. Kevin did much better than I did. Well, I mean, I wonder how well I would have done with the whole quiz, though. Like, I might have done worse than you. I don't know. I mean, those, those, those were the ones that I couldn't get. Um, so Kevin got, I think, five or six of those eight. Yeah, I only missed. Well, I missed Garrett Temple, and then I missed the two French guys. Yeah. And that was it. So I got five. I'll take that every day of the week. Absolutely. And there's one other thing I want to mention. Oh, Notre Dame, according to verbal commits, has offered three 2021 prospects. Now, they, they've offered like seven or eight 22 guys. When I wanted to mention this three weeks ago and forgot, they'd only offered... Three 2022 guys, but I mean, this is not a team that has very few scholarships open, right? They have ten guys on this year's team, eleven if you count if if you count Trey Worths, who's sitting out from Santa Clara. Next year's team has three scholarships open. They don't. They're not loaded with four star or five star guys. You know, they have a lot of three stars on here. What is Notre Dame doing? Well, I think they're getting Blake Wesley, right? Like, isn't that a thing? Okay, so then they would have offered three guys, and they're going to get two of them? Yeah, and I don't think they're getting Deron Holmes. So if they get Blake Wesley, they still, though, don't they still need a, a point guard behind Hub and a center behind Taylor? Yes. Yes, they do. I guess it's weird. I, I, so, so what strange is Notre Dame, like through like the hub class, right? So they had that class was hub top 75 recruit two top fringe top 100 guys, right. And Robbie Carmody and Dane Goodwin, DJ Harvey, who was a good, really good recruit. And then Nate uh, Leshevsky, who was like top 75 too. Right, so they had all those guys in one group, and I thought that was, like, the future. And I thought they were going to be really good. They had that, like, kind of returning group that was, was already been there. I remember one of our first deep dives ever was Notre Dame. And Notre I was, Dame like, and George Mason. Yes, and I thought the future was so bright uh, for, for this for Notre Dame. <laughs> and things have not gone well. Um, but, like, I think what's weird is they just haven't, like, recruited at all, right? Like, they took. They didn't take anyone the next class. They just got Cormac Ryan, who is the um, Stanford sit one play three, who I think has a chance to be a nice like reclamation project. And then this class, like they take three three star kids that they could have probably shot higher, right? Like all these kids are fine takes in a vacuum, but like 
do we really think Notre Dame can't shoot higher than Tony Sanders, Matt Zona, and Elijah Taylor? Right, because I I really like Taylor, offensive rebounding big. But, I mean, Taylor, I don't even think was top 150. Zona and Sanders had very little buzz. They, It's weird why they're not shooting higher, given that they've had a lot of success, right? Demetrius Jackson was a five-star. Zach August and, and uh, Jerry and Grant were top 100 or not very close. I know Connaughton they probably struck gold on. But Bonzi Colson was top 150. It, it seems like each year they're, they're kind of shooting lower and, and, and getting lower. Steve Vasturia was top 100. It, 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 just, it, it, it really confuses me because they have open spots. They're not shooting high. They're getting the guys who they want. They're being more exclusive on offers than like a Kentucky or a Duke. And so what do you think these assistants are doing? Right? Because like everyone else's assistants, right? Everyone else is offering 15, 20 guys. The assistants are keeping contact. Between 21 and 22, they've offered like 12 guys at most. So are the assistants just have a handful of guys each or are are they talking to guys who they haven't offered? In which case, isn't the player like, can you like offer me already? Well, it's just so contrary to their, to like everyone else's strategy at this point, right? Like even Northwestern, who is pretty conservative of offering people, has offered like 15 guys in the class. Like not offering more than 15 guys, unless you're Duke, is a little strange. But... It's some, I mean, I, I just feel like Notre Dame is is not a winner in any sense of, like, the like social media recruiting wars. Like, Mike Bray is not a guy. I know they took a swing at Hunter Dickinson because of the math connection. But, like, Mike Bray is not a guy who, like, oh, my God, look at me. Like, let's post a million pictures on Instagram. Let's post graphics on, on Twitter of us flying on our private jet to go recruit, like, that's just not who he is, and I wonder if that's hurting him in the last couple of years with this generation of recruits. I think it could be because, I mean, we've seen this year more than ever, program cachet, program brand is very important. Guys are making decisions almost solely on that, a lot of times against their best interest, and then probably end up leaving after a year or two. I mean, you, you look at Louisville, and now, now Bryce Hopkins just reopened, who was their best recruit. But like Eric Vonderhegen, who's a top 150, he commits to Louisville, even though they have like four or five other guys at that 3-4 spot. Bobby Pettifer, top 100, he commits to Louisville, even though they grabbed L. Ellis, the number one Juco player, the same offseason. It seems like guys are just, they don't care about playing time, at first, right? They it's just brand, brand, brand. And then when they get there, that's when the other things start to kick in. Yes. Well, and you mentioned Louisville. Can we talk about how Michigan State's recruiting? Because that's the one team we haven't touched on this podcast. It's unbelievable. I mean, Michigan State completely is completely out of the blue. Completely out of the blue. I mean, because they've done so well with like kind of under the radar guys too. Like they would add like a a five-star type like a Cassius Winston, and then they get like a three-star like Aaron Henry, who turns out to be an NBA prospect. You know, they've just been hitting. 
you know, Izzo's been pulling who he wants, whether it be a guy that you've guys Michigan State offering him, Izzo pulls him, and, and he turns out to be good. Or a guy like Cassius Winston, who's a five-star, and he turns out to be awesome too. right? But now it's just four-star, five-star in every class, right? <laughs> 2022, he's already got two five-stars. And he's about... And he's in 21. He's about to get Jaden Aikens, top 100 point guard prospect, to go along with five star Max Christie, top 100 Pierre Brooks, and then the two five star 2022s. When you mentioned you mentioned that Bryce Hopkins is a potential look for Michigan State to me in a text. Well, Where so are you getting these scholarships. So Andrew Slater had. You know, done his cryptic tweet of a, of Hopkins with something that said Spartans, and then he deleted the tweet. So, to, you know, to to your point, where are they getting the scholarships? Number one, I guess from a Hopkins perspective, you're saying, okay, Henry's gone to the pros. Maybe Hauser leaves too, and then you're two grades behind Malik Hall or something like that, but. I mean, there were much better options with similar cachet where, where he would play a lot more, including probably Louisville, right? Because he's better than all the top 150 wing forwards that they brought in. Yes. Right. He's just a very good player. He was a guy... Hopkins was a guy that Northwestern... He was at the third wheel in the Northwestern discussion of the... Dream 21 class because it was it was Baldwin and Christie and then if they couldn't if they, and then Hopkins was the third guy and then Hopkins committed before. Um, I mean, if if Hopkins goes to Illinois, he he could start. You know, you know he 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 could potentially start at the four. I mean, maybe you say okay, uh, I'm a big Coleman Hawkins guy or something. You know, maybe he. He's got that spot locked down or something, but um, Illinois could certainly use another big-time frontcourt player, and, and he's he's from Illinois. I know Duke and Kentucky are kicking the tires as well. I, I also read that Duke is potentially making a push for Trevor Keels, the five-star scoring wing. Um, so it's big, big brand strike again. Indeed. Hey, it must be nice, right? It really must be nice. Yeah, it's it's, it's so funny because you know all all ten Big East teams have uh, a recruit signed, except for Providence. All right, there's eleven now, uh, I, and we're we're on the outside. <laughs> it's funny though. Outside. Where's it? Sienna's on the outside for twenty-one. Well, all I mean, all the mid- major teams. Like, who are you even going after? Right? Because it's guys who, right? The, the guys who you can sign, remember, if, if you see them play AAU, they played as juniors. Right? So some of these guys who would eventually be good mid major recruits, who as seniors would have played EYBL or Adidas, last year they were probably playing like U16 somewhere. Well, so it's about. You know, having your guys that you were in on from the start, like your early 21 offers, and hoping that they didn't blow up this summer, right? So, like, 
Angelo Brizzy, for instance, was a guy that like a lot of he was like a priority mid major recruit, and then just started getting all these offers without anything like materially changing in his recruitment because no one's seen anybody play. But at the same time, you have a guy like Malcolm Chemezi, for instance, who's a prime uh, a high like a high high level mid major recruit that a lot of teams in the Northeast liked, uh, who people thought maybe he'd get to get a high major after he you know, comes out of the spotlight from playing next to uh, Adrian Griffin and R.J. Davis, and instead he commits early to uh, Boston U. So I think it's the goal of essentially, again, making your making your move early and uh, and hoping for the best. Um, Providence still has three spots to fill, and down to, like, potentially five or six guys. For for uh, three spots, we're getting to the point where it's like just give up and grab a couple transfers. At this point, I mean, the way that this thing works, it's hard to justify not pursuing that route. Unless, I mean, I guess the only reason why you wouldn't do that is if you're worried that no one's going to transfer if somehow like there's never a season. But there's bigger problems if that doesn't happen. You know, right? Bigger issues. Well. I think that's all I have. Yeah, if any uh, recruits that, that we didn't think of, we'll, we'll touch on next week. Yes, and if you have stuff you want us to talk about on the show over the next several uh, several weeks, let us know. Uh, we are hoping, we are praying for college sports as soon as possible, whether that's college football, college basketball. I am in full support of all the college football players making their voices heard and making it clear that they can play and they can play safely. I hope. I really do hope that college basketball players stand up in the same way. I hope that the NCAA helps fund testing, like I tweeted about. I think it's a really important thing um, because the NCAA tournament is so important to so many people in this industry and just the general future of college sports. So we're hoping for the best. By the time you listen to this, the college football season may be toast. It may be on its way. I have no idea. But I hope you are able to survive your weeks uh, without such a... without college football destroying your life the way that it likely will consume mine. So appreciate you all listening and uh, we will see you all next week.